Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning as we continue on in our lessons on Daniel. And we're in chapter 5 this morning, so as we continue on in Daniel, I trust that you will uh, join with me as we uh, look at the story of Daniel 5, the story of a king named Belshazzar, and also how it affects our life today. Let's pray and ask for God's wisdom and guidance as we look at his word this morning. Father, as we come before you this morning, may we be encouraged in Jesus Christ. Lord, may we recognize that you are in control of all things and we can look to you. Lord, challenge us in our daily lives to live lives that honor you. And Lord, may you be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to have you here as well as those watching online. As we look at Daniel chapter 5. Now, there's, there's a difficult situation here as we look at Daniel chapter 5 because it's very similar to Daniel chapter 4. And if you were here last week, we looked at the story of Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar made to walk and live like an animal for seven years because of his pride. Well, in Daniel chapter 5, we see Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. His name was Belshazzar. And Belshazzar had the same struggles that Nebuchadnezzar had. Pride. So, what's the difference between chapter 4 and chapter 5? Well, Nebuchadnezzar dealt with pride in chapter 4. And eventually, he changed. In Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar had the same issues and his kingdom was taken from him. And you could say both Nebuchadnezzar and, and Belshazzar ordered pride, but uh, Belshazzar ordered a side order of dumb to go along with his pride. And I tra pray that as today as we look at it, that we will recognize the dangers of pride, but also don't order a side, a side order of dumb. And as you see the story, you'll realize he really was dumb. So let's look at the story, but, but also in order to, to sort of uh, see a little bit of that, I thought that we should uh, start with something to help recognize that Belshazzar did not live in reality. Have you ever been around someone that doesn't live in reality? So I decided I'd, I'd uh, Google this week and, and Google some different things, and I tried a few different things, but then I, I tried frivolous lawsuits. And if you Google that, you'll find some amazingly frivolous and foolish lawsuits. So I thought we'd start with a couple of those. Now, you got an extra hour sleep last night, so you should be awake. But uh, just to help you maybe laugh a little bit uh, if you, so you don't cry. But one we have, first one we have a picture of. And uh, so the guy on the right, his name is Michael Jordan. You may have heard of him. Uh, the guy on the left you maybe didn't hear of, his name is Alan Heckard. And Alan Heckard filed a suit against Michael Jordan, as well as Phil Knight and Nike, for $832 million. Now, this is why he filed the lawsuit. This was the grounds of the suit. The grounds of the suit was that he said people kept coming up to him and saying he looked like Michael Jordan. And it caused him great emotional distress. In fact, he also said, according to the suit, it says that it caused him emotional pain and permanent injury. Not sure the permanent injury. Maybe he tried to do a couple of Michael Jordan's moves or something. I don't know what it was. 
Fortunately, the suit was dismissed. But that Alan Heckard, and I don't know his story, but he uh, needed to realize, he needed to live in reality of an $832 million lawsuit may not work. Uh, there's a second example, and we could go on all day, but we won't. But uh, this one is a little smaller amount, only $67.2 million. This is a guy that should have known better because he was a judge. His name was uh, Judge Roy Pearson. He was an administrative judge. And he sued a dry cleaning company for $67.2 million because they lost his pants. Now... I'd have a picture up here, but we can't find the pants to show a picture of it, so we won't have a picture. But anyway, $67.2 million because he lost, they, they lost his pants, and they had a sign in their window that said, Satisfaction Guaranteed. He wasn't satisfied. And, and it went through and it gave a list of some of the numbers to come up with $67.2 million, and I'll just share a couple of them with you. He said it was $90,000 that it took to rent a car so he could drive to another dry cleaner. $3 million for emotional distress because he really liked the pants. So anyway, reality. Sometimes we don't live in reality and Belshazzar didn't live in reality. And we're going to see his story here in Daniel chapter 5. And, and to just get a little bit of an overview of his story, let's look at verses 22 and 23, Daniel chapter 5. It says, But you, his son Belshazzar, is actually Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. Daniel had just shared about Nebuchadnezzar's pride. Verse 23, And you have lifted yourself up, against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of His house before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, and the God who holds your breath in His hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified." Let's go through the story, jumping back to the beginning of chapter 5 to, to understand what's going on in Belshazzar's life. He sets up to have this banquet. And we see the banquet introduced in the first four verses of chapter 5. It says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. So Belshazzar decided that he was going to have this party to honor the god, small g, Bel, one of the gods of the Babylonians, principal god of the Babylonians. And so he was going to have this celebration. And so he invited a thousand of his closest friends to come and join with him. Now, in doing this, he broke some of the protocol that kings were supposed to honor in what they did in the culture of that time. Uh, kings were, were to be at a, a separate table. They were not to drink in public. 
only in private so that they would not do foolish things in front of others. But it says there that, uh, it says at the end of verse 1, it just seems like it throws it in there, in the presence of the thousand. He did some pretty foolish things. If you're a, a sports fan, if you have a favorite sports team, you don't want to hear these two things together. The star player of your team and early this morning. Because it's never good. If you read about that player and it says early this morning, it probably has nothing to do with they invited their aunt over for a birthday celebration. You don't want to do foolish things, but Belshazzar, as you will see throughout the story, did some very foolish things. But then he compounds it by taking the vessels from the temple in Jerusalem that his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had taken when Jerusalem was conquered by Babylon. And he brought them out. And they drank from them. And they were mocking the God of the Jews. Now you have to ask the question, so why was he having the party? Well, yeah, he was celebrating the God Bell. But why was he having the party? Well, there's more to the story. You see, the Persians, or the Medo-Persian Empire, had been coming and, and starting to take over, and in fact, they'd been taking over large portions of Babylon, and they were literally outside the walls of the city of Babylon that night. And they were becoming the new world power. And so what was Belshazzar doing? He was the king of Babylon. He was probably doing this to try to show a front of being confident. Knowing that the enemy was outside the walls. And so he wanted the people around him, he wanted the, the leadership of Babylon to recognize that Belshazzar was still in control. Now, Babylon had these walls that were considered impregnable. No enemy was supposed to get through the walls of the city. Nebuchadnezzar and others, but Nebuchadnezzar especially, had done some amazing things. If you see the seven wonders of the world, the hanging gardens of Babylon were considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But another thing that Babylon had was these impregnable walls. And, and so Belshazzar, even though the, the enemy was outside and had taken over large areas of the country, he wanted to show, I'm in control. And then also, to show his power, let's bring out the vessels that we took from one of the conquered peoples and show that our God is more powerful than their God. And so they brought out the vessels from Jerusalem. And so we see they're having this incredible banquet or party. But in the midst of their party, something happened to change the mood. And we see it beginning in verse 5, the writing on the wall. In verses 5 and 6, it says, In the same hour the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. It made him sit down and his knees knocked. It went from party hardy to let's be scared. 
He went from confident king to weak-kneed wimp. And so he calls for the Magi, and you read in the next few verses, he calls for the Magi to come in and, and to try to interpret this writing on the wall. What was it saying? And the Magi couldn't figure it out. Now, if you've been with us for the last four weeks, this is third time that this has been mentioned, that there's something that takes place, and the first two were Nebuchadnezzar, the dream of this image, which was the four world powers, and then last week with, with this tree that's cut down, and that's in, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is going to be taken away from him for seven years. And so we see now the third time, but for the third time, the king doesn't go to Daniel first. In fact, Daniel has sort of been pushed out from the advisory role and so the Magi all come in and they can't figure out what it is. And so then we come to verse 10. And the queen, and it's actually the queen mother, who hears what's going on at the banquet. She's not invited or at the banquet. But she hears what's happening and so she comes down to share some advice. Beginning in verse 10, it says, The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke saying, O king, live forever. And now here comes the advice. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let the, your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy God, in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will give the interpretation. So she encouraged Belshazzar, the king, call this Daniel to come. And he could interpret the dreams because he had done that before and she had observed it in the reign of, of Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel's summoned. So he comes to the party. And we see in verses 13 through 29 that the writing is explained. Belshazzar starts with an introduction, a nice, nice introduction, some kind words to Daniel, whom he'd ignored for the first part of his reign. But it says, then Daniel was, verse 13, then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is the one of the captives of Judah whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, that the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now we're going to stop there for just a second. He had heard of him. He had heard how smart he was. He had heard all the amazing things he did. But he wasn't on speed dial. Sort of foolish, isn't it? Alright, on to verse 15. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should need the writing and make known to me the interpretation, that they should read the writing and make known to me the interpretation, but they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me the interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So he gives this nice introductory speech, how wonderful he's heard about Daniel, how wonderful he is. Can you help us out? And if you do, I'm going to make you rich and powerful. 
So what was Daniel's response in verses 17 and following? It says, Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, now he's going into a history lesson. The Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. Belshazzar recognized all the, Nebuchadnezzar, all the power that Nebuchadnezzar had, it came from God. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. And now, if you remember from last week, he's reciting from Nebuchadnezzar's story. And remember, Nebuchadnezzar actually wrote it. And here's the key that we looked at last week till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of man and appoints it over whomever he chooses. Remember that from last week in the story of Nebuchadnezzar? The Lord Most High rules in the kingdoms of men and gives them to whomever he chooses. Belshazzar, your grandpa Nebuchadnezzar learned that the hard way. But the truth is still true, and you need to recognize it just like your grandfather had to recognize it. Now, now he begins by rejecting the gifts. And you think about it, there's really both character and common sense that caused him to reject the gifts. Character. Daniel wasn't going to be swayed by any position or any possessions. He wasn't in it for the money. But second thing was sort of a common sense thing. Because what did Belshazzar offer him? He offered him purple robes, the idea of royalty, gold chain, picture of royalty, and third position in all the kingdom. Common sense, Daniel knew that night Belshazzar was going to die, his kingdom was going to be wiped out, Great, I can be third in power for a couple hours. Not that big of a deal. The robe and the chain, why were they so valuable? Because they pointed to the position. The only thing they'd be good for is maybe a few months later, Daniel could put them on eBay and see if he could sell them for a few bucks. Not much benefit of these things, but Belshazzar still didn't get it. He said, Daniel, you want to help me out because I can sort of, I can give you some stuff. And Daniel was like, I don't need your things. I don't need your position. But I'm going to tell you what God said. Belshazzar, it may not be very good for you. But I'll go ahead and share it. And again, just like, Dan, just like last week, Daniel was more concerned about obeying God than trying to please a king. And so we see that, and so he, uh, he goes ahead and he shares the history lesson. And then he shares 
the interpretation of the saying. He recognized that Belshazzar needed to learn from the mistakes of his grandfather, but that he never would. And we see in verses 22 through 24, But you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this, all those things that happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, from God. And this writing was written. Just like last week, we, we had, were reminded over and over that God, the Most High God, rules over the kingdoms of men and gives them to whoever He chooses. In Daniel chapter 5, the phrase or the verse that needs to jump out to each and every one of us, the God who holds your breath in His hand and owns all your ways, He's in charge of it all. Belshazzar, how foolish that you choose not to follow or glorify him. An incredibly strong condemnation. And so then he goes on in the next verses with the interpretation. And you maybe have heard the, the phrase, many, many, tekel Eupharsin, the idea of God has weighed your kingship, has weighed your kingdom, and it's found wanting. And tonight, your kingdom is going to be taken away from you, and the Medes and the Persians are going to come. And so we see that God was in control. And he needed to realize that. And so then in the last two verses of the chapter, we see Belshazzar's fall, beginning in verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. The Medes and the Persians were going to have victory. And, and here's what happened. If you, if you look in history, 539 B.C., you know, the, the Babylonians were confident nobody could break through those walls. And they were amazing. But what they did, what the Persian army did, was they diverted the water of the Euphrates River. And, and so what the Babylonians, they had collected a lot of food. It was said, historians say, they probably could have lived in there for 20 years without ever going outside the walls, the people that lived in the city of Babylon. And the water came in. Their water supply was the Euphrates River. But what happened is the uh, Persian Empire, or the Persian army, diverted the water, which made the water level lower. And then they went through, and, and according to the historians, they actually went through where it went in, under, into the city, and where it went out of the city. And since the water was diverted, they were able to come in from both sides, and they destroyed or defeated the city and killed Belshazzar and the other leaders of the city with hardly any resistance. And Belshazzar, in his foolish pride, could not recognize that God was in control. But what about in our life? You know, I don't know anyone in here that's going to go home and, and is having enemy armies surrounding their chain link fence trying to get in and, and how are we going to 
go against them. So we're, we're probably not going to have the same circumstance that Belshazzar had. But we can struggle with the same foolishness and the same sin that Belshazzar struggled with. So what about in our life? How, how can we live differently than Belshazzar? Well, the first thing, in my life, what do I need to do? I need to recognize that God is in control. Verse 23, And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of His house before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in His hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. It's the same sin, the same struggle, same temptation that Nebuchadnezzar faced and failed in. But it's also something that's difficult for us. We want to be in control. It's my life. I have plans. This is what I'm going to do, and I have the power to incorporate my plan. It's all about me. I'm in the center. Or maybe you're going through a really hard time right now and your circumstance isn't good. And you say, God, I just don't see you at work. I don't see your hand. I'm doubting that you care or maybe that you can do anything about it. We need to recognize that God is in control. And He is the one who is on the throne. And we can be confident, even though the circumstance may be incredibly difficult, that God does care. And we can look to Him and trust Him. God's hand was in what was taking place in the story of Babylon and Belshazzar. Just like He's in control in whatever's happening in your life. It's very interesting, almost a hundred years earlier, the prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 50 and 51, shared some prophecies that God had given him about Babylon falling. And so, prophecies long before 539 B.C., which took place in 539 B.C. And, and these prophecies, some of them are very specific to what happened. And if you read through those two chapters, it's amazing and compare it to the history of how Babylon fell. And I'll read just one verse that pictures just a little part of it, but again, there's so many of them. In Jeremiah 51:57, it says, And I will make drunk his princes or her princes and wise men, God speaking of Babylon, her governors, her deputies, and her mighty men, and they shall sleep a perpetual sleep. In other words, they're not going to awake, says the next phrase. Says the king, says God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. They're going to be drunk, <laughs> and they're going to fall asleep and not wake up. In other words, they're going to be dead. They're never going to wake up from it. Guess what happened almost 100 years later? 539 B.C., because they were having the party when the Medes and the Persians came in and wiped them all out. Now that should tell us a couple things. Anybody who says, well, yeah, the Bible maybe is a good book, but it's not, you know, it, yeah, whatever. It, it's not all that powerful or it has mistakes. Passage after passage after passage like this point to the incredible accuracy and power 
of God's word. But to recognize that God is in control of the kingdoms of men and gives them to whomever he pleases. Not only do I need to recognize God is in control, but I need to choose my counselors wisely. Belshazzar had put foolish people around him and wise counselors like Daniel were pushed away. Proverbs 13 and verse 20 says this, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Ask yourself the question, who do I listen to? Who do I learn from? The nation of Israel faced that same struggle that Belshazzar had. When when King Solomon died, his son Rehoboam became king. And they had a, a kingly line. And so Saul was the first king of Israel, and then David, and then Solomon. And it was a united kingdom, the 12 tribes of Israel. But when Rehoboam took over from his father Solomon, he went to the wise men, the godly wise men, and asked what he should do. And they said, well, you know, you guys have just, the the nation has just finished building the temple, and it was an amazing temple. They just finished building the temple, and it took incredible sacrifice from all the people to to build this temple, both financially and work-wise. You need to give the people a little bit of a break. They've been working incredibly hard. They've been sacrificing an awful lot. You need to give them a break. But then Rehoboam went to his friends and said, so i got to figure out what to do. And the wise men, truly wise men, said I needed to sort of take my hand off a little bit, give them a little bit of a break. What do you guys think I should do? And they said, well, what you should do is you shouldn't listen to those wise men because they're pretty dumb. If you let off, guess what the people are going to think? They're going to think that you're weak. And they're going to walk all over you. So you think, you tell them, you think it was hard with Solomon? You haven't seen anything yet. So guess what he did? He listened to the foolish wisdom of his friends. And he made it much more worse than it was with the sacrifice and hard work under Solomon. And ten of the twelve tribes rebelled under a guy named Jeroboam. And the nation was split. We need to be, think, who are our counselors? Who do we take advice from? If you're a parent here, and you have children who are getting on in years, you're, what's one of your prayers? Lord, help them to have friends that are smart. You probably say some other things too. <laughs> Aren't airheads or whatever you want to say. That's an 80s term, isn't it? <clears throat> Anyway, or maybe you're in school and you say, all right, who am I going to allow to influence me? People that are going to influence me to the right, to the correct ways, or people who are going to influence me to do wrong, to be foolish. When I was in high school, I thank the Lord. It's probably not the only time I should have been in the principal's office, but the one time I was in the principal's office, I I know exactly why I was in the principal's office. Because I listened to some friends who I knew were giving me horrible advice, but I went ahead and followed it. 
and I got in trouble. The amazing thing was they didn't. And I still wonder why I didn't tell on them, but I didn't. Be careful about who and where you get your counsel from. You know, what a sad story. Here's Belshazzar. And, and twice in his introduction to Daniel, he says, I have heard that you're a very intelligent guy who gives great advice. But he never bothered to call on him for it. Choose your counselors wisely. And learn from history. Belshazzar didn't learn from the successes and failures of those who had gone before him. Daniel 5.22, But you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. You had heard and maybe even seen what had happened to Nebuchadnezzar, your grandfather. But it didn't make a difference in how you lived. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? That's insane. But we do it all the time, don't we? We watch others who make good choices and what happens? We watch them when they make bad choices and what happens? But we still choose to do the foolish thing. Or even in our own life. How many times in my life have I said, okay, listen, I'm doing the same thing I did last time I messed up and I'm doing it again. Belshazzar should have learned from history, but we need to learn from history also. To recognize the direction we should be going. And finally, to, to understand that God must be in the center of my life. Verse 23, you may be tired of hearing it, but I hope that when you go home this morning, or this afternoon, excuse me, that it's rattling around in your brain. And the God who holds your breath in His hand and owns all your ways, Belshazzar, you have not glorified. Oh, that we don't make that same foolish mistake that Belshazzar had. The God who holds my breath in His hand but yet I've got a better idea than he does. How foolish. There's a, there's a guy named Earl Palmer, and he illustrates this well. God needs to be in the center of our life. And Earl Palmer, and uh, we sort of made our own little display. He's got it a little nicer. But, uh, so anyway, uh, God needs to be in the center. He needs to be the hub. Now, for Belshazzar, God wasn't even anywhere in the wheel. He was clear off screen somewhere. But for us, we say, you know, I'm not like Belshazzar. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I'm a follower of God. I, I even come to church. I, I try to do good things. But, but sometimes we say, you know, God, I'm going to make you a spoke. In fact, I'm really feeling good. I'm going to make you two spokes, God. And you're going to have part of this and this, and, and, and I'm going to set aside time for you, God, and, and, and that's great, but that's not what God's asking. He needs to be the center. And everything that we have, and everything that we do, needs to lead to God. He needs to be the center of it all of every part of your life. 
It can't be God, I'm going to give you this, 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 but no, I'm keeping this to myself. He needs to be the center of it all. And again, Belshazzar, he wasn't any part. But don't just give him part, give him all. He needs to be the center. And the focus needs to be on him, not on me, not on my plans, my ideas, my goals, but God's. And when he's the center of it all, the wheel will function properly. And when he's not, it won't. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the story of Belshazzar and what we can learn from it. Lord, help us not to be consumed by pride. But Lord, help us rather to honor you with every part of our lives and to humbly look to you for everything we are, everything we do. Lord, help us to glorify you and help you to be glorified in the way that we live. And we will thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.